You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. I'm not wired. She asked if I was wired. I'm spying on you guys. Wearing a wire. Um, I've never been able to wear the Britney mics because my ears, my ears are too like far from my head, so they just flap. And so I'm forever stuck with the handheld, just little fact in case you want to know me more. Uh, Father, we just thank you this morning for your grace, for your goodness. Um, God, we thank you that you are who you are. You got as mysterious as it, as it can be. I'm thankful that we are who we are because of you. And Father, I pray that we would just know that deeper this morning. We would feel your grace in a way that um, words could not capture, but your presence could. And Father, I pray that we would just know your presence this morning more than anything. And also, God, we just, um, we just stretch our hand toward Robin. God, we're so grateful for his life. God, we're so thankful um, just for who he is. God, he's such a special person. And, um, but God, we just speak healing and life and wholeness and energy and um, just better days ahead. God, let your just supernatural presence be on his journey. Even this morning, Father, I just pray that you quicken his body to be where you are, to be how you are, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, give Robin a hand. It's so good. I know we did that once, but yeah. <laughs> Stuart stood up. See, we know who, who's winning. Good job, Stuart. Uh, I want to open with a passage and then maybe tell you just a, a, a few, maybe a couple minutes of my story and how I got into ministry. And take it somewhere. When I told Kara what I was teaching on today, it's this idea of being present. She laughed at me. Um, so I st- the, the reason she laughed at me, you'll see in a moment, is I'm not very good at being present. Which naturally means I should teach on it this morning. So here we are. Uh, but I want to read this passage, Matthew chapter 11. Everybody knows this. I think David Valier might have even used this a few weeks ago in the message translation. But it says this. It says, come to me. Everybody say me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. The issue is that we're not coming to him for rest, we're coming to him for him. Right? And when we come to him for him, when we're present with Jesus... What's on him, we're now the recipient of. And so when we come to Jesus, coming to Jesus means that we are present with him, where he is, how he is. And we find rest in that context because that simply is where he's at. And in that place, things are easy and they're light. I've kind of stapled this uh, verse on my heart for the past year because we've just been in the most bizarre, like, God authored yet chaotic season of our lives really the past two years um and i won't you know spill it all on you this morning um, but just to give you a little bit of context we uh many years ago i just had an encounter with the lord grew up in church and that didn't really work so i got out of church did the the kind of world scene and i think i shared some of my 17 year old story last uh, Sunday of you know playing music and blowing up drunk people and 
go listen so that that, that doesn't sound crazy out of context. Um, he's alive. In case you weren't here last week, he's alive. Um, but it was in that season on the tail end, around 20 years old, like I just I had a just crazy, supernatural, just graceful, gentle, yet the most powerful encounter with God that radically changed my life forever. And I don't know how to describe the season except it was like the chicken and the egg principle where God's presence was just sitting on me for a season and almost just kind of baking me down until I yielded to who he was. It wasn't forceful. It wasn't, you know, invasive. It was just this sweet presence. And at the time, I I didn't have language for that. I didn't know God's presence. I didn't know God still had a presence. I grew up in a church. God, you know, we're going to meet him later. Like there was no idea that God was now. And so I didn't even understand what was happening, but my whole life was under this just canopy of God's grace. And probably for about a two-year period, I just wrestled with this conviction. Not conviction of like, I'm just some sinner that like, you know, is horrible at life. But this conviction of there's actually more to life and my origin cannot be from just this place known as planet Earth. And under that season in that space, I, you know, wound up encountering God, knowing who he was and realized that this was actually my true origin. And in that season, I um, knew nothing about ministry. I had no call to ministry. I had no, um, you know, angel didn't walk in the room and say, hey, you're going to be pastor someday. Like, the only thing that I cared about was knowing him and knowing him more. And I would spend hours upon hours upon hours just by myself in my bedroom before the Lord. Sometimes that was with <laughs> Bibles and concordances and studies. This is before you know I had a laptop or internet really to um, just look up what I wanted to believe. Uh, so I had to dig it out. Um, but I remember spending hours upon hours upon hours just in this place, and I could not get enough of Him. And what's true is when I look back on that season, I, I didn't go to Him for His stuff. Because I didn't even know about his stuff. I went to him because there was something I didn't know what it was. It was just God's presence. And in his presence, I found me. And I didn't know how to define that or summarize it in word form. But I just found me. And every time I brushed up against who I was in him, everything felt right. It felt more clear, even though I didn't fully understand it. When I think about this passage, it was that season where I was coming to Jesus that I felt the most alive, right? I had the most peace. I had this posture of rest. There was no sense of hurry. I didn't have to be anything or become anything in the presence of God. And long story short, in the last two years, um, we've been on a roller coaster, right? And... Before I go there, that season was what prepared me for ministry, by the way. Um, I tell people all the time, information is not what preps you for, quote, ministry. His presence is, right? And information is good. It helps. I I think it's important that we, we study. But information without his presence leaves you very unprepared for anything. 
And it was out of that season we found ourselves, you know, planning church and all that fun stuff and different story for a different time. But a couple years ago, we felt called to transition, felt God was calling us to Charlotte. And so we started this journey of not knowing what in the world we're doing. Everything's going great where we were, but we just felt like God was calling us out. And so we stepped into that place again, and um, it just put us on this path of up and down, up and down, and sideways. And it's kind of, we're kind of comfortable there. Like, that's how we've always done ministry, so it's not unfamiliar territory. But a few months ago, I was just trying to worship before the Lord. And I had this disunction. You know how God nudges you sometimes to just like, you know, lift your hands or do something weird, right? And lifting your hands isn't weird, but sometimes he just makes you do stuff and you're like, what's the point of that, you know? And I felt like God was just saying, hey, just lift your hands to me like you used to. <laughs> and totally transparent, here's what, here's what I told the Lord. God, I'm tired. I physically didn't feel like raising my hands to the Lord. I was exhausted, I was weary, and I'm like, ah. Oh. In my, you know, my, all my days of theological deep diving, you know, has prepped me to be able to say, God, but you don't even need that, you don't require that of me. But I couldn't get away from it, it's like, no, just lift your hands. I'm like, but I'm tired. And immediately when you say that, you think, man, i got to get better before I'm in a position to do the thing that I would love to just sit here and do. And ask the Lord, I said, God, why is this so important right now that I lift my hands? And when he said it, he, was, he reminded me of that season of life that was really how he prepared me for ministry. And here's what the Lord said to me. He said it's important because the way that I prepared you is the way that I'll repair you. In this little hidden space where I'm everything, where you're not after anything, but just coming to me and being present with me, that's the place where things are not just restored, but things are made whole. And here's what I can tell you about that place. That place isn't meant to be a well that we go to when we're tired. It's meant to be the well that we live from continually. Coming to Jesus is not coming because I need a break. It's coming because that's actually the place I was designed to live life from. And immediately when I heard this idea that the way he prepared me is the way that he'll repair me. I wasn't just thinking like repair in the sense of fix something that's broken. But repair, if we can say it this way, re-dash Pair, resync, reconnect, be present to the thing that you're designed to be tethered to and in rhythm with. And so I've been on this journey of like sacrificing everything else in a world where we're supposed, you know, told to, uh, <laughs> uh, to to plan and prep and prepare and get better and self improvement. All these things are just screaming into our. Uh, sphere every week of our lives I'm in this place where I just want it all to be quiet and I just want Jesus and so when I read this verse and it says come to me that is the most important three words of the entire thing what does it mean to be present with Jesus what does it mean to be paired in that place 
Um, quick example, how many guys have Bluetooth headphones? Anybody? Um, <laughs> this is why being present is a funny topic for me to attack. Um, but I have a racing mind all the time. Not always negative things, just racing things. And so it actually helps me at night to go to sleep to put in Bluetooth earbuds and either listen to, listen to a podcast or something. It actually, like, the stimulation helps me wind down. And so this is my routine. But Bluetooth's interesting because what happens is you've got two devices. It could be your phone and then earbuds, and you turn it on, and my pair sends out this little flashing blue light, and it's trying to figure out where the, another device is to connect to, Right? And so when you connect the devices, you give one side permission to connect to the other side, and all of a sudden, they're paired. And in that pairing, it means that what's happening on my phone can now be heard through what's in my ears, because there's connection. If there's not connection, if there's not pairing, then what's true of the phone isn't going to be heard or received by the other side. And when we're repaired to Jesus and we're coming to Jesus, it's not so much about just getting restored because we're tired or we're broken. It's about being paired with him so that what's true of Jesus can be functioning in my ear, my heart, my emotions. Because when I'm in sync with him, I'm living life by design, not striving to find it. Amen? But I put these headphones in every night and... Um, I realize there's this need for things to be connected. I want to read this passage. It's in the Psalms. It's one that everyone's familiar with. And I'm going to read most of this, actually, Psalm 42. Because it describes this need for connection. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. Just for fun, everybody say soul. This is the place. See, Jesus said, I'll give you rest for your souls. Not your body, not the thing that's physically tired, but for your soul. Because most of our exhaustion and weariness is not in the realm of the physical, it's in the realm of the psyche. Right? So he wants to give rest for our souls. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So there's this deep sense and this deep need for connection to who he is. When can I meet or when can I go and meet with God? Listen to this statement. My tears have been my food day and night. My tears have been my food day and night. This has been his source of life. So he's saying here, my, my soul pants for you, my soul thirsts for you in the sense of this is life that I'm looking for and what's been the source of my life is tears, right? So the sense of connection means that when I'm unpaired from who he is, when I'm not in rhythm with who he is, tears are food, they're the source of life. It says, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 4, these things I remember. As I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. 
For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. And I love this passage. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. When I read this, I think of that blue light flashing. He's writing, I need connection. My soul thirsts for you. Not just your stuff, just for you. Because when I don't have you, my soul is afflicted. My soul is out of sync. It's out of rhythm. It hears things that aren't you. And when I'm connected to you, that's the place that the way I'm designed to be finds its true source. And deep calls to deep. Blue light. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all of your waves and breakers have swept over me. By the day, the Lord directs his love. And I love this passage. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to God of my life. Deep calls to deep. So there's this need for connection. There's this reality when we're not paired with who he is. There's this longing that says, I need to be with you. So much so that he describes it as deep calling to deep. And when there's connection, now he says, even in the night, his song is with me. So that when I am paired with him, even when my soul is afflicted, I can at least now hear his song over my life. It is probably one of the hardest, simplest things to do, which is to be present. And when I say be present, I don't just mean in, in, in this moment, I mean with him. It's hard to be present with him. You know what was frustrating the other night as I had my Bluetooth headphones in and I was listening to something and right at the like climax of the thing I was listening to when it was just, you know, about to get really good, this little lady's voice came on that's built into the headphones and it said second device connected right and it just ruined what i was watching i had to back up and watch it all over again so i could get that dopamine rush uh, get the payoff and then about 10 minutes later it does it again and it kept doing it this went on for days where i was watching something i'm like what is this second device and i'm like kara turn your bluetooth off you've been stealing my headphones and now your phone is synced up to mine and it's doing weird stuff and it's interrupting what i'm trying to enjoy um, but I would listen to it and say, second device connected. And it was just getting annoying. Um, and then finally I found it. There was an iPad in the house that had connected to those headphones. And so once I went and found that out, I turned it off. And now I can listen peacefully at the feet of Jesus to my headphones without interruptions. Um, but it was annoying because that's what happens when we're paired to too many things. It's, it's disruptive. See, when I'm trying to be paired to Jesus, when I'm trying to come to him, but I'm still by default paired to something else and don't know it, it's disruptive and it's interruptive to life. And sometimes I want to be present with Jesus, but I don't realize I need to disconnect from some other things. And when I talk about, again, being present, I'm the worst at being present. That doesn't mean don't listen to the rest of the sermon. Uh, it means I'm working it out. 
Um, in fact, uh, a f- couple months ago, we were driving, and I do this thing in the car where... <laughs> so, so stupid. Uh, I do this thing in the car where Kara's over here, and I'm driving, and I, I would reach over and like tap her like this. And I didn't realize I was doing it at first. She obviously did. But I kept doing it. And I, like every, I don't know what, 10 minutes, I would do it. More than that, she says. So I would reach over and I would just like tap her like this. I'm just driving. Like this is weird stuff going on in our car. <laughs> and we started breaking it down. Like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. I just need your attention. Um, and that wasn't it. And I realized um, I live so much in the future. I was grounding myself. And as I broke it down and unpacked it, I promise you I'm going to talk to a therapist about all this stuff. Um, but this morning, you are the therapist. Um, but I realized I, as my mind started to swirl and drift away, I would physically reach over and touch her just to bring myself back to the moment. Because I've been trying to be present. And so subconsciously, my mind pairs with something else. And there's um, two things I want to maybe point out just a little bit and unpack just on a surface level. And it can be so many more of these things, but it's one of the true things I think that hinders us from being present with the Lord is sometimes when we're trying to pair with him, it's hard because we're so paired to either the future or we're paired to the past, right? And for me, being someone who's super paired um, to the future, and let me say this up front, it's not wrong to be aware of the future or aware of the past, right? Um, In fact, It's healthy to be future thinking, but planning for the future doesn't mean you're living from it, okay? Um, Being aware of your past doesn't mean you're living in it. We're called to be in the present. In fact, God himself is eternal in nature, which means he's always now, right? So if that's the design of the Father, then certainly it's the design of the sons and daughters that are according to his image and his nature, We're called to figure out life in the now, present with who he is. But sometimes that's hard. Because if you're like me, I wake up in the morning. And with no intentionality, my default is I'm paired to future. Thinking. The what ifs. What do I got to do? How am I going to get there? And it's a bazillion avenues of thought. It's like a giant traffic jam trying to merge. Now, here's the deception. Most of it's great things. It's not all anxiety. Now, one symptom of living in the future can be anxiety because we feel so behind. Um, Sometimes we're in a hurry to get nowhere because in our mind we're already somewhere. We're 10 years out. And so right now feels like a hustle session. Um, And that's definitely not Jesus. In fact, if you click on your Instagram account right now and scroll through some of the popular leading coach voices, they're telling you to hurry up and hustle. Not all of them, but in this mentality of trying to gain something or get there or make sure that you're there in 10 years, we're so hustling now to get to fruit later that we don't realize later fruit is dependent on being presently planted. Jesus modeled this everywhere he went. He didn't act like the future wasn't real. He talked about sowing seed so there, there would be an outcome. But he also said, come to me. Come to me, right? Let me read a Jesus passage so that we know I'm not making it up. Matthew 6, 31. 
Jesus says this. He says, so do not worry. (laughs) That is just hard to swallow. Do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? See, living in the future leaves you constantly with a what. What if? What will? Verse 32, for pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So future living, being paired too much in that space, usually, not always, but can so many times be thing-driven and not actually life-driven. Right? And Jesus is saying, don't worry. Don't be after things. And then he puts this statement on it, for your heavenly father knows. And that, for me, sometimes is the issue. Because I get so much in future thought and living and not paired with him in the present that I realize sometimes I deviate from trusting the fact that he knows and that he's got me. You know what God was bringing me back to and reminding me of, and I'm still in that journey of that season of my life? Um, It was that God knew in the hidden place. God saw. And it didn't matter what it was in that season, whether it was like, I'm wrestling with a sin nature, I'm wrestling with my past, or I'm wrestling with not feeling, I don't know, good enough. God knew and he saw and that healed every space. And sometimes in our pursuit of there, it's easy to lose trust and remember that he knows and that he sees and that he's enough. This is why Jesus is saying, come to me. It says, your heavenly father knows that you need them, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry. There he is again. Do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How many guys, don't raise your hand, but how many guys feel like you're paired so much to tomorrow that you're missing right now? That you're partnered so much with what's not even happened yet, what you can't control, what might be but might not be, and you live in that space so much that you're missing the present moment. Practical layer, your family, your wife, your kids, the world around you. Spiritual layer, the presence of God. You know, I always think it's interesting that and in, in we do this, and I'm not saying we shouldn't, but we cry out for God to come so much. But the reality is, is the issue has never been God coming. It's never been an issue of God showing up. It's always been the issue of me showing up. His presence is continually with with me. He is. He's eternal in nature. He's never going to leave nor forsake. We have this promise and this covenant that he's not just around me. He's inside of me. So we're kind of inseparable. So the issue is never is God present. The issue is am I present? So the gospel says abide in me. That word break it down means to be present. Abide in me and fruit will come. But sometimes we live so connected to the future and we're so anxious 
that it's hard to be present. And I think God, i make a bold statement here. I think God in the coming years is going to change the landscape of the church. And I'm not talking about Queen City. I'm talking about the church globally. Because there is this desperate thirst for creation just to come and be with him. And so often we try to perform our way into that position. And let me read a couple uh, quotes I found from the Google Psychology Department. And they know, they know because they're smart. It says this, it says, when we live for the future, we build grand expectations. We put years of happiness on a single moment. And in doing so, we set ourselves up for inevitable disappointment. Here's a question a psychologist asked or concluded to. He said, should we live for the future just because it numbs the present? Another one, psychology research shows, um, I want to interject this. Jesus was a great psychologist, by the way. He wasn't just the savior. He was a therapist for humanity, too. Psychology research shows that looking to the future shifts our attention from the monotony of the mundane to something more meaningful, the why. The future becomes an emotional target that gives us purpose and helps us manage our frustration. Uh, here's, here's the challenge. Sometimes we're looking in the future for the why, but the reality is he is my why. And when he is my why, when I'm paired and present with the real why behind the meaning of my life and the design, and it's enough. Isn't it crazy that it, when I'm in the presence of God, I, I'm enough. But it's hard for him to be enough for me. Not on his side, but in my thinking. It's hard for me to sit in that place and him just be enough without needing the things to prove it. But when he's our why, that's how we pair. One more quote. Two more quotes. It says, but the problem isn't that we don't know about the benefits of presence. The problem is that being present requires us to practice being present. This is the one that's kicking me really nicely and why Kara laughs at me. And you can't seek presence for the benefits of presence. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because that inherently, uh, inherently contradicts the nature of presence. Complicated, right? We have to simply be present. See, this is annoying almost. Like when I read it, because um, it's that simple. It's, it's, it's just as annoying as saying, do not worry. You ever tell that to somebody with anxiety? They're like having a, a moment and you're like, oh gosh, everything's about to break. Well, hey, don't worry. Like, shut up, you know, like, come on. You can't just turn it off, right? But, hey, why don't you just be present, oh, distracted one living in the future? We have to simply be present, which is easier said than done in a society that conditions us to constantly be planning, doing, and thinking. Ugh. One more. It says most people struggle with presence because they're overthinking it. Isn't that true? 
that we have, we, and, and maybe this is fine, but sometimes we're so systematic in our approach to just be present. <laughs> that we have to think about, are we doing the right five steps to be here? <laughs> but when you wake up, you're here. It's just your mind's not always here, right? Most people struggle with presence because they're overthinking it. Mm. Another passage, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Another great coach here giving us a one-liner. Do not be anxious. It's that simple. Look, if you're anxious this morning, just quit. That's what he's saying. Do not be anxious about any... I'm saying that sarcastically, by the way. It's not that easy. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious... But in every situation, by prayer. See, one of the ways that we repair to Him, because this is what prayer is, is by learning to be present. In the space where He's enough, and I don't need to be anything. And that's how you know, when you're really in His presence, you're not tossed to and fro about the need to be something for him or be something for someone else. You're just in this place that by design is enough. Right? And prayer is not about us going to God to give him our perspective. Prayer is actually about me repairing with his. When I go to him in prayer, it's not me gossiping to God about how bad the world is. It's going to him to get his perspective, to see the way that he sees it, to feel what he feels. Because that's how I sync up. That's how deep connects with the other side of deep. It's that blue light looking for the other side just to make connections so that what's playing through his headphones or what's playing through his device can be heard on my side. That's what prayer is. And if we want to be released from the worry of later and be present with him now, prayer is a great place to start. Let me push into this a little bit. Um, And again, I've gotten really good at theologically outmaneuvering the Holy Spirit sometimes. Um, I can pray while driving down the road. I can pray while I'm doing things. I can get really busy living in the future and still pray. It doesn't always work well, right? It's when I stop, like I did those days in my bedroom, and it's just me and him, and I'm not looking for anything. There's no finish line I need to get to. I'm not trying to be something for everyone. But it's in this space where it is just him and me. That, that's where the real roots of prayer happen. That's where I really get his perspective. Not just the quick bailout, but the deep-rooted perspective of the Father that carries us through different seasons.
To repair with him means that I'm getting his perspective. This is the one I'm going to tread lightly around and then I'm going to wind down here. But sometimes we're so paired with the past that it's hard to be present. And the past has a different symptom sometimes, not always, but usually the past can either make you depressed, disappointed. It can put you in a place of self-sabotage. And it's usually because we've either been something, we've done something, or something's been done to us in the past. And it's hard to leave the past. And sometimes we bring those patterns with us and we interpret the now or we interpret the future through the thing that we've been through. And here's the beauty of the Father is he's locked you out of your past. In a, in a bizarre, this is a little weird, but think about this for a second. You're here right now. What I said three seconds ago no longer exists. It literally is no longer real. And even if you want to, you can't go back to three seconds. Well, I mean, you can on the podcast, but you know what I'm saying. Like, you can't go back to three seconds ago and relive that. Which means we don't actually struggle with reality that's past. We struggle with memory that's past, right? And it's that ruminating storytelling of negative thoughts that keep us in a place of being stuck in what's been instead of being able to live in what's now. Uh, Someone shared these words this morning, and it was the two words of guilt and shame. And this is so much of what we deal with in the past. Some past is good, but usually it's not the good past that we're ruminating on. It's usually the bad past, right? But here's what guilt and shame is. Guilt says that I've done something wrong. Shame says that there's something wrong with me, right? Guilt says that I've done something wrong, but shame says there's something wrong with me. Here's the beauty of the gospel. He's dealt with both, which means he's provided a present so that you don't have to live in your past. The reality is there's things that happen in our past that we are justified to allow to compromise and sabotage our present and our future, but we don't have to. We have a choice. Here's what I love. When I pull up my Bluetooth settings menu, it it shows me all the devices it's aware of that I could pair with, right? Here's the beauty, though. I get to choose which one I'm going to pair with. So I don't have to pair with certain. I don't have to pair with the future if I don't want to. And I don't have to pair with the past if I don't want to. It doesn't matter what's coming in the future. And it doesn't even matter. Here's the thing about past. It might explain you but it doesn't define you amen and we don't fully always know that until we're in this place of being present in his presence where our real definition comes from where it's just him and i i don't have to be anything i just have to listen to the thing that he says that i am so maybe your past is rocky maybe uh there's trauma in your past maybe things have happened but the beauty is today's a new day that no longer even exists except in the realm of this i want to uh read a passage here here's how the lord deals with past hebrews eight twelve. it says for i will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more There's a few other places in the scripture where God says, I'm going to forget some stuff. Isn't that amazing? I'm just going to forget. Why would I want to hold on to memories that the Lord's not even holding on to? Why 
If God doesn't live in my past, why should I? Yeah? Another one, Isaiah 43. 18 through 19. Here's what he's telling them to do. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Then he says, see, I'm doing a new thing now. It springs up. Do you not perceive it? They're saying, get out of the past. Stop looking this direction. Stop ruminating. Stop allowing it to spin. Stop retelling the story. I'm doing something new. Are you present enough to notice what's happening now? He didn't say, I'm going to do something new. He said, I'm doing something now. Do you not perceive it? In other words, when I'm present with him, I can see what he's doing. You know, one of the beauties of Jesus is he obviously was aware of the future. He was aware of the past, but he lived in the present. And here's the evidence. How many people got healed, set free, the blind saw, the lame walked, miracles happened, while Jesus was on his way somewhere else? He was never so consumed with somewhere else that he wasn't observing here. He wasn't observing now and it's sometimes really hard to observe and soak in right now i saw a study where one of their practical um, fixes was practice savoring the moment now when i hear that it's this, if you got anxiety and i say hey stop worrying that's what it feels like to me when it says savor the moment and they gave the analogy of eat a pastry now i can get on board with that because i have a sweet tooth um, but to stop and like savor it, like just taste it, think about what you're tasting, enjoy the taste, analyze the taste, just be so into the pastry that you're no longer in the past, you know, like, and I'm reading that and immediately I thought, taste and see that the Lord is good. <laughs> and it's so true that how will I know the goodness of God? If I'm never present enough to taste. How will I actually have a relationship with God's goodness if I'm never present enough to taste who he is? If I'm never in his presence enough to even experience it. He says, forget the former things. Don't dwell in the past. I'm doing something new. Be present so that you can see it. A couple more and I'm going to pray for us. 2 Corinthians, everybody knows this, but this is true of how we've been. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone. See, this is the wiring of God. He locks us out of the past. Mm. You know what's really tricky? And I'll say this, and I just want to pray God's grace over not just where we are, but really over the next 10 years, 20 years. Because more than we realize, I think one of the biggest crises we face on the planet right now is in the realm of the soul. It's right here. And that's always been true, but it's surfacing now. In a generation that has no idea who they are. 
And we can sometimes in the church interpret that as, oh, the world's lost and it's just going to hell and blah, blah, blah. And things are getting worse and this is all going to... Or you could interpret as all creation is groaning for their father. Maybe it's a glorious setup that's just simply deep, calling to deep. Maybe it's just earbuds blinking, saying, hey, where's the other side? And they just need to hear for one second, maybe in a season where they've left church and they blew up drunk people and played rock and roll, but then they find themselves in a bedroom where it's pinging on the other side. And for the first time in their life, they hear what's on the playlist of God and it resonates and it shifts your life into a place where you'll never be the same. But you have to be present enough to not miss it, right? This is not a present generation. And I don't say that to speak something negative over the generation. It's just what it is. But I think God's going to provide grace for us just to know what it means to come to Him. And I'm convinced the church is the forerunner for what God wants to do in the earth. We are the ones who pave the way. We're the ones who come to Him. And when people see, not our just Christian stuff, but when they see the rest and the peace that we walk in, doesn't mean we're challenge-free. It just means we can go through challenge in a posture of rest and peace. And so, Father, I just... I pray this morning, God, that even now, God, even right now, we could just sense your presence. God, a presence that it's not, it's not shifting, it's not running from us, it's not elusive. But it's a presence that's constant. And when I'm present, things change. God, I know that transformation doesn't come because I just got just better at my past or because I arrived at the future. Transformation actually starts because I'm present with you. It's the place where my definition comes from. It's the place that my peace and my rest and my wholeness comes from. It's the place where my guilt is erased because your memory is shortened. It's the place where my shame is deleted because who I thought I was is exchanged for who I actually am in the presence of you. And God, in a time where the world is racing to an undefined finish line. A culture of hustle and hurry and and a generation of pain. God, may we just know what it means to come to you. God, grace your church, not just this church, but every church in the coming days and years, Father, to know what it means to come to you 
and find rest. That's not a momentary well. But it's a constant source. And last, Father, I just pray for, starting with myself, God, but anyone in this room that is so paired to the future, maybe they're paired to their past, maybe they're just paired to their imagination, God. And all there's, although there's beauty and a percentage of those things, Father, when they disrupt my ability to be present, they become a challenge, Father. And so, God, I just pray that supernaturally you would help us be repaired to you. And we trust you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.